All right, welcome to church. Question for you. Do you know how a pawn shop works? Yes? All right, some, some of you guys do. I have not spent much time in a pawn shop, and so I'm not too familiar, but when I was getting some tires put onto my van this last week in the lobby at the auto place, they had on a show that was based in a pawn shop. And it was very entertaining because people come in and they bring all these historical things and they're trying to sell them. And some of the guys come in and they're like, I've got this bullet casing and it's worth $100,000. And the guys are like, okay, I'll bring in someone to look at it. And they look at it and they're like, yeah, that's not even worth a quarter. And they're like, I'll take 5000 for it. And it's like, what are you thinking? No, it's not worth anything. I don't want it. Um, at other times, and I looked this up, the show, you know, they have to kind of look and they, they have to make a bid and say, okay, if I buy it for me for this much, I can probably sell it for this much, make some money. And they got to try to find a price that works because what they're dealing with is a person who has sentimental value attached to something usually and say, how much money would it take to claw this out of their hands? They had a guy who came in with some of Willie Mays uh, baseball players' pants, which is just kind of funny. It's like, okay, here's this baseball player's pants. And, and he's like, I think these are worth like $50,000. And they got them looked at, and they said, no, they're worth $30,000. Which I'm still like, what are you, like $30,000 for a baseball player's pants? That's a little bit crazy for me. And then later, after they bought it, they found that they were actually fakes. Ouch! And, and which is funny, the guy who brings these fake pants, he's like, oh, I don't know if I can take 25000 for these. I could maybe do thirty. Like, like what, what are you bickering about with these fake pants that you brought? I mean, he got his money, I guess, and so he won out. But it's this funny kind of dance that happens of like, how much are you willing to take? How little are you willing to take for what you have? And, and within our life, I mean, there's this same negotiation that happens all the time. And in our life, we continually say, okay, I'll give this much of myself to this at this cost. I'll give this much of myself to this at this cost. And just as if we were standing at a counter in a pawn shop, we sell off pieces of our heart, pieces of our life, pieces of our soul, usually undervalued. And especially as we get into Thanksgiving in a year like 2020, what are we saying we're thankful for this year? I'm thankful that I'm still breathing. I think that's one of the most common ones. Like, I'm not dead yet, and so I'm going to be thankful for that because all of the other things that I should be thankful for are a little bit hard to see right now. And, and I want to tell you, I, wanna, I want to admit, I want to talk about the fact that sometimes it's difficult to be thankful. And in fact, the, the section of Scripture we're going to look at today, we're going to look at a longer than normal section of Scripture. I'm going to try to not make it a longer, longer message than normal, but it's going to be 21 verses today out of the book of Psalms, chapter 107. If you have your Bible, you can open up. And the title to this, this psalm is also going to be the, the title of our message, and it's called A Sacrifice of Thanksgiving. Now hear, hear the connection of those words and, and feel how they don't seem like they should be connected. A sacrifice of thanksgiving. Because we always think of thanksgiving as being just this natural flow that goes right out of us. Like things are so good we can't help but talk about how thankful we are for them. But in scripture we see in different points where it describes thanksgiving as a sacrifice that is brought before God. And Leviticus chapter 7 is one of the first times that we see it, and it's actually a described offering of 
an animal and, and, and different vegetation that would be brought as a sacrifice to the Lord. One of the interesting things about the sacrifice of thanksgiving, even in Leviticus, there were sacrifices that were required of God's people, and then there, there were ones that were considered free will offerings, and the sacrifice of thanksgiving was a free will offering. It was just like when you feel thankful and you want to pay a cost for how thankful you feel, this is what you bring. Which is kind of an interesting thing, but in Psalms, it's describing a different kind of sacrifice of thanksgiving. And and this psalm, it it was written in Psalms 105, 106, 107, were were most likely sung at the dedication of the second temple that was built. And so after Solomon's temple was destroyed, and and the the Israelites had been defeated at at different points in their history by Artaxerxes and, and Alexander the Great, Eventually, they were able to rebuild a temple, and then they, in Psalms 105, 106, and 107 were sung as this thanksgiving for what God had given them. And it might, I, I don't know if your mind hops right here. Maybe you just hop right to, oh, we get to celebrate, we have a temple again. But just think about the, the years spent without having a place of worship, without having walls around their city, without being who they thought they should be. It would be very easy to reach a point of bitterness in your faith, bitterness in your life, bitterness because of what you had lost before they got to this point of restoration. And I'm sure that they felt that way at different times. But that's kind of some of the context as we get into this this psalm that was written, and it's written in, in this circumstance where there would have been two choirs and there would have been the people. And so this, it's really a song that we're reading. There, there's part that would be sung by the one choir, and then response to... to get the people up and engaged in worship, they would answer back and the choirs would bounce off of each other. And you can kind of hear that within the way that this is written. That it gives an instruction to praise and then there's a response of praise. And that's because there's these two choirs that are singing back together. And we're going to start at verse one and we'll put this up on the screen and um, up on the screen as you're watching online. And it says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. And and you can almost picture, okay, this big ceremony of rededicating the temple. And and they're telling the people, then speak out if the Lord has done something for you. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. For he has gathered the exiles, the people who had been taken out of their land because they were defeated. He's gathered the exiles from many lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless. Hungry and thirsty, they nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and the wonderful things he has done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Now this psalm, it's full of those setups, and you can almost kind of picture how how the choir's would bounce off of each other, but I want you to learn from the content of this psalm. Because it's not just understanding the historical, of this is the way that it was sung and used, but there, there's content that is supposed to instruct the way that we live. And starting with verse one in the very simple instruction that says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And I understand that your circumstances right now, they may not feel good. They may not be good, but the instructions remain the same that we have to keep our eye on what is always true. 
What is always true is that our Heavenly Father is always good. Our circumstances are good, and then they are bad. They are up, and then they are down. But we are instructed in Scripture to remind ourselves that God is good, that His faithful love, it endures forever. And this picture of Him regathering His children from the other lands, once again, I don't want you to miss the historical context that helps us understand the meaning of what it's saying, because what Scripture taught us was that the nation, the, the Hebrew people, their land that was given to them, God would keep them in it as long as they followed his ways. But he promised to them that if you depart from my ways, if you begin to worship these other gods, these other gods that demand the sacrifice of children, these other gods that break the commandments, if you worship them, I will expel you from the land until your heart turns back to me, and then I will bring you back and set you back up. And so connected within, within the whole concept of them being exiles from their land is the fact that they walked away from God. But God's mercy would return right back to them. But when discipline comes in, when times get difficult, I wonder what our response is. I mean, our response is probably plastered all over social media right now because that's how we ventilate. And so when we look back over these last seven months, are we in eight months? I don't even know how long we've been into this quarantine COVID world. But when you look back across the things that you've said to your family, the things that you said online, the things that you've presented to your coworkers about how you see the world, I wonder if we've reacted with, I know that God's going to be faithful through this or if we reacted with bitterness. Because th- those seem to be the two opportunities that we take when things get difficult. We, we usually choose to either get bitter or get better. We, we choose to look at it and say, there's things that I can learn from this circumstance, or there's things that I should just despair of in these circumstances. It, it, it's, you know, I, I think the concept resides in like, if you're from the 90s, if you had the seat that you wanted in a room, and you got up from the seat and you said, seat check, like, like, that, that's mine. No one else can sit there. Like, seat check was like a code back in the 90s, he said. Or maybe it plays out like this. If you ever were waiting for a car to pull out of a parking spot, and as you waited, someone else pulled back in, and you were like, that was my spot. And you understand only one person can reside in that spot. And I want to tell you that within your mind, there's like one spot that will either be occupied by thankfulness or bitterness. And some of you guys need to look at your life, you need to look at your, your situation, and you need to call a tow truck. You need to back that thing up out of there because it's a choice that we will make. And what, what I want to identify as we study these passages today is there's, there's three choices and maybe one of them or all of them need to be made by you about what you're going to allow to reside within your life. And, and this is the first point, choose thankfulness and sacrifice bitterness. When, when we think about the the sacrifice of thanksgiving, I believe there's different smaller sacrifices that have to go into that because in order for us to be thankful, I think that we first have to look at the situation and get over our sense of pride of saying, I should have just always had it easier. I deserved more than this. I shouldn't have had to go through this this pain. And I want to tell you, I'm not saying that your pain is unjustified. I'm just suggesting to you what scripture teaches is that when we experience pain, we can still give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. 
And especially being on the other side of the cross and the resurrection, we have even more reason to rejoice of the great redemption that he sent to us through his son. And so we should look at life and whatever difficulties and trials come our way and say, I know this will create perseverance within me, and I know that God will bring us through this, and as I walk faithfully with him, I know that I will see his blessing again in the land of the living as well as in the life to come. And so we have to choose, we have to make the decision that I'm going to reject bitterness and I'm going to push that out of the space, there's no room for it in my life, and I'm going to put thankfulness there. And I want to make sure that we put a huge spotlight during this message on the fact that thankfulness is not always felt before it's known. Because once again, they are walking through incredibly difficult times. They, 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 their city was destroyed, their temple was destroyed. Many of them had to wander through wilderness, living without a home. I mean, did you see how bad that it said it got? In verse 5, they were hungry and thirsty, and they nearly died. They were homeless. We're like home full. It's like we're, we're full of home, like we're sick of home. That's our big problem. We've been stuck at home. Well, they had the opposite effect. They were homeless. They didn't have a home to go back to. And I think that we all would admit that given the two options, we'd much rather be quarantined in our very nice homes with AC and running water and food delivery than what they went through. And they were instructed to look at their situation and give thanks anyway. Give thanks for what God is doing right now, of what he's restored. And I want to tell you from experience and from scripture, I've seen that when we lose something, God can restore it. He can heal it. He can rebuild it. But we need to to move in his ways and live in his ways and follow his commandments. In verse nine, I just really, this is kind of almost a, a side note within the passage, but it says, for he satisfies the thirsty and fulfills the hungry with good things. A lot of the translations, the more literal ones will say, he satisfies the thirsty soul. Not just the physical, but the spiritual And you know that when when your soul is satisfied, it helps give you the power over your circumstances that are just physical. You know that much. We don't like to think about the flip side of that coin, though. When my soul is depleted, everything everything that's bad is worse. When my soul is depleted, when when I'm spiritually not well, I can't even see the blessings that are so obvious to other people. And our satisfaction in our soul, which is more important than any of the physical things that we have, that's something that we work out between us and God. That's a conclusion of how we listen to his word, his scriptures. And we're going to continue on into the verse because I believe that it dives into that area in this next spot. Starting at verse 10, it says, Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom imprisoned in iron chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. That is why he broke them with hard labor. They fell and no one was there to help them. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He led them from the darkness and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he broke down their prison gates of bronze and he cut apart their bars of iron. It starts in that section, some sat in the darkness and deepest gloom. And I want to tell you, 
If you've ever been in something that feels like darkness and deepest gloom, you know the most common response is to just sit there in it. Because when your soul is depleted, it is hard to rise up. When you feel depressed, when you feel hopeless, just even doing the normal tasks become more difficult. And I want to be as sensitive as I can. And and I want to tell you, depression and anxiety, it is real. And it is not just a simple fix. But I want to tell you, I believe this passage points out some truths that are connected to that. Is it how we get to this point of darkness and deepest gloom? In verse 11, it says that they rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. It's not the whole picture of why someone is ever in depression, but I want to tell you that part of it is when we walk outside of the parameters God has set for us, it brings us to a darker, more depressed, more difficult state than we would be if we were following his ways. And that's not to say that if you're walking through depression that it's all your fault. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying we can usually point back and say, some of these decisions that I've made have brought me to this place. And having walked with Jesus for for almost 20 years now, and having told dear friends and dear loved ones, you can't live that way. Scripture teaches us to go this way instead. And they scorned the advice They didn't want to hear it. You know, as a child, it's fun to say, I told you so, but as an adult, there is no joy in it. When someone reaches the end of the road of their decisions, the logical conclusion of continuing to ignore what Scripture teaches us about how to live our life, and they reach that point where they feel like they are just shackled up because of their decisions, because of disregarding God's instruction, there's no joy, and there's there's no statement because it's just generally known. This is what happens when we ignore God. Some sat in darkness, deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. And so God allowed them to go into what they were going after. But when they get to the point where they cry out for help, that's the beautiful thing in verse 13 and 14. In verse 14 it says, He led them from darkest gloom. Which is the truth, because when you find yourself On the end of 10 years of walking in the wrong way, it's not just a moment that fixes it, but it's a leading that begins to occur. It's a leading of you will hear God's word, you will sense from his spirit, I need to change this. And as you respond to that, he gives you the next steps and he begins to lead you out of there. And in the same way that at the beginning, at a younger state, when you heard, I could walk God's way or I could walk another way, and you disregarded and you said, oh, that's just not for me, usually what happens is people just continue to go in the way that they've been because they start to believe that these iron chains, this situation is too dark, it's too desperate, God can't possibly save me from it. But what scripture teaches and shows us is that he can break even the most secure feeling of chains. I mean, in the day, iron was one of those things that you could not just break. They did not just have cutter, you know, chain cutters like we do now where we think, okay, I could cut a chain. Like, like it was different. It was a different picture. It was insurmountable to break chains like this. In the Psalms, he's saying that he can break, he can snap those chains. He, in verse 16, it says that God, he broke down their prison gates of bronze and he cut apart their bars of iron. And it's trying to paint this picture that no matter how dark it has felt, No matter how far you went because you disregarded and you scorned the things of God, 
God can still break you free. God can still get you back home. And so rejoice in that. And, and, and I want to tell you that no matter where you are at the, at the, in the spectrum of life, if you're at the kind of the beginning of your choices, if you're 17, 18 years old and you're determining which path you're going to take, or if you're 40, 50, 60, 70 years old and you're hearing this, God still has a calling on your life. And especially if you feel like you have been trapped in depression, I want to tell you one of the pieces, one of the pieces of getting out of depression is choosing to be obedient to his word. Because by his spirit, he instills a joy in us when we walk according to his word. By our spirit, we discern that the heavy weight of the guilt of my sins that I've carried, it has been moved from me. Christ has taken it and I'm freed from it when we choose to be obedient to his words and his teachings. And, and I know, I know from my own times where I have been turning a deaf ear towards God that it's so hard to be thankful when I'm walking in in disobedience because it's hard to talk to him. And the less that I talk to him, the less joy I feel and the closer I get to depression. So there's another choice that I think that you have to make. We have to choose obedience and we have to sacrifice depression. We have to say, okay, I understand I've been in this depressed, I've been in this, this angry, I've been in this anxious state for so long, it's hard for me to give it up. And maybe you've never ever thought of it this way, but one of the ways that we begin to get rid of that state is you begin to look and say, God, what would you have me do? How would you have me speak? How would you ha- have me pursue a spouse? How would you have me pursue my job? How would you have me pursue the person that I'm married to? How would you have me walk through these days? And as we choose to be obedient to those words, I believe that he leads us like someone being led out of the darkness. He snaps the chains. He breaks down the gates. Verse 17, continuing in the passage, it says, Some were fools. They rebelled and suffered for their sins. This is giving a picture of like how close to the end of their life they were, how desperate the situation was. They couldn't stand the thought of food, and they were knocking on death's door. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them, snatching them from the door of death. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. And sing joyfully about his glorious acts. You know, in verse 18, it it talks about just the late stage that they were in. Of how bad things were. That they couldn't even stand the the thought of food, which was identified as one of those things of just being on that last stage of life where the, the internal organs are shutting down and it doesn't want any food, it doesn't want any nourishment. Things were bad. And then they cried out. And God sent his word and he healed God sent his word, and it began to work. And are you familiar with what God's word does? I mean, scripture describes his words as being alive and active. It it describes his word as being useful for rebuking, teaching, and training in righteousness. That his words, they lead to life. But listen, it's not just about hearing his words, but it's about being doers of his word. 
of having the heart position of saying, what you've spoken to me, I will apply to today. Not a tomorrow, not I'm going to get after this in a couple weeks or a couple months or Christmas and Easter or maybe each year Christmas and Easter might fix me. That's not enough applying his word to today. I mean, just the whole concept of applying his word. All of scripture as we read it, it's prescriptive. It's telling us stories about how to live and how to react to God, teachings to be applied and whenever we hear the term repentance, we often just think of the act of saying a prayer of, God, I'm sorry. But repentance, the word throughout Scripture, it gives the, the picture of turning directions, of taking a physical stance change. And as you hear my voice today, I don't know where you are and I don't know where your circumstance is but I know that your heavenly father loves you enough that he is good enough, that he is powerful enough to bring to your heart and bring to your mind the area where he would call you to take a turn. And this is the beautiful thing, that he doesn't, he doesn't ask us to, to, to shift or to change just because he's interested in the rules. It's because he wants something better for you. Just the way he led them out of darkness and into a home, he wants to lead you somewhere. For us, the, the, the third choice is choosing repentance and sacrificing destruction. And I say it that way, and it, I said it in a heavy way because I believe it carries a heavy weight. We know that when we live by our own standard instead of God's standard, that it leads us on a path towards destruction. Destruction in our relationships, destruction in our families, destruction in our future, destruction within our soul. But God's ways, they lead to life. And we have to choose to turn directions. Not just say a prayer of I'm sorry, but, but God, I understand that, that I have fallen short, my sins have fallen short, and I want to change directions. I want to hear your voice, and I want to follow your leading. And that authentic repentance, it leads to life, it leads to new life that is found in the gift of Jesus Christ. And from the Psalms through Revelations, it continues to paint this picture of God's love for us. Band, if you guys will come up. And, and I'd, you know, to just explain it in another way, I started off talking about, you know, the picture of a pawn shop. And I, as I wrap up this message, you know, for me, I think what I would like you to take away from this pawn shop is just imagine yourself stepping to the counter and saying, I bring with me today, I have felt like I've been trapped in bitterness. I felt like I've been trapped in depression. I feel like I've been trapped in self-destruction, and this is what I have to offer you. And your heavenly Father would stand on the other side and say, what I have to offer you for that, even though it's worthless, is new life, forgiveness, a clean slate, to be a new creation, to be invited into a family. And Scripture tells us that he sets the lonely into families. That you're given a gift and you're given the promise of his presence for the rest of your life. And it seems like an incredibly unfair deal. But here's the thing. When we get to this point where we're willing to say, God, will you take this depression? Will you take this self-destruction? Will you take this bitterness? He's not just getting that bitterness from you. What he's getting is he's getting his child back. Because he has not designed you to live in that destructive manner. 
and so close to his heart. He, he says, you're adopted as though you're my children into my family. And that is so close to his heart. But even connected to that, that he wants for you is that the world gets you back as well because he has a purpose for your life other than to slowly spiral out of control. He has a purpose for your life to make a difference in the city that is around you, to make a difference in your family, to make a difference in your workplace. And he knows that you can't do that as you carry heavy burdens. And so he says, bring them to me and I will give you a burden that is light. I will give you a calling that you are equipped for. Your heavenly father doesn't stare at you with judgment and hate. He stares at you with love and invites you to something better. But it takes a moment where our heart moves in repentance and says, yes, I will change my ways because I see that your ways are better. And so we're called and we're invited to to reach this point where we, we bring thankfulness that is described as a sacrifice. Think in the same way you can bring your depression to God and it feels like a sacrifice. It feels like for me to let go of this is difficult, but what he gives you in return is so much better. When you give up the bitterness to be thankful, you know it's so much better. And as God speaks to your heart today, I'm gonna enter into a moment of prayer before we sing our last song. I want you to make the decision between you and your heavenly father this burden that he's bringing to your mind, that you give it back to him. So let's pray. Father, as there's burdens that are on our heart, as we've allowed bitterness, self-destruction, depression to reign, we want to choose what you have for us over those things. We know that you're powerful enough to break the chains, to break down the gates, to break down the bars that have held us back. And we trust that you're powerful enough to work and what is pressing in our heart. And we choose to follow your scripture's teaching. We choose to change the direction we've been headed. And we know that you will give us reason to be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.